found that when I am in a heated exchange with my wife, that if I will look her square in the face and yell, relax, it is very effective. And just helping her to calm down and start to chill out, she, she instantly starts to relax. And, and that's a wonderful communication technique that I'm going to uh, highly recommend to you. <laughs> if you want to get slapped, at least. Yeah, uh, to my shame, I will admit there has been some times in a heated debate with my wife that I have looked at her and said, relax. Uh, unfortunately, uh, it did not cause relaxation, <laughs> neither for her uh, nor for me. And I don't know about you guys, but man, this has like been a pretty crazy time. And, and Brenda and I, for the most part, uh, have really enjoyed it. But there's certainly been some places of friction, of frustration where we've kind of gotten into some of these heated debates. We all actually need a little bit of relaxation, right? I mean, we could all use a little chill right now, uh, some rest. Uh, the thing about relaxation, though, is that it's really hard to find because relaxation isn't simply a nap, uh, a few minutes in front of the TV. Uh, relaxation is more than just a physical thing. It's it's emotional and intellectual and spiritual and social and so many other things that we could talk about. Relaxation is holistic. Uh, the Mayo Clinic actually did some work on relaxation. I, I read an article uh, this past week about some of the things that they found that relaxation actually accomplishes. This, this actually comes from the Mayo Clinic. They said, relaxation helps slow the heart and breathing rate and lowers blood pressure. It improves digestion, uh, helps maintain normal blood sugar levels, reduces activity of stress hormones, fatigue, anger, and frustration. Could all use a little bit of that. It increases blood flow to major muscles while reducing muscle tension and chronic pain. It improves concentration, mood, and sleep quality while boosting confidence to handle problems. Uh, that's a pretty awesome list of things, but I don't even think that list is exhaustive. I think that there's more that comes when we find ourselves relaxed. A number of years ago, Dallas Willard was talking to a mentee, a guy that he was mentoring, and, and he looked at the guy and he said, if you could only use one word to describe what Jesus was like, what word would you use? Now, I want to pose that question to you. Uh, I would like you right now to describe what Jesus is like in one word. All right, I'm going to give you a second. You can go on to your computer right now if you're on Facebook or church online. Uh, you get one word. Go ahead and type it in. All right, if maybe if you're uh, watching with uh, some people, roommates, family, whatever, you might just want to jot it down, uh, a couple of words you can put in there. I'm going to give you a second. Go ahead and do that. And maybe you're like me. When I started thinking about this, I was like, oh, man, like one word. What am I what, what's one word? Which is exactly what the gentleman thought as well. Now he's like, how am I supposed to do that? And so he started thinking about different words, words just like what you just posted. Love or light, or resurrected, or holy, or king, like all of those words, Lord, like all of those words fit. Uh, but the guy finally realized that Willard had probably been thinking about this for a little while, so he turned the question back on him. He said, all right, Dallas, well then what, what's the one word that you would use to describe what, what Jesus is like? And Dallas looked at him and said, relaxed. Relaxed. <laughs> 
Jesus is relaxed. I, I was honestly so struck with that word when I first heard this conversation. I, I was like, I, it, like, is that is that the best w- word? Like, and the more that I thought about it, the more I was like, that is a fantastic word, actually. How, how true it was. Now, not that Jesus didn't have any concerns, right? Certainly he had some anxiety the night before his death, but the more I thought about it, the more I realized uh, Jesus was able to fully trust his father at all times. Uh, Jesus had already said, I'm going to lay my life down and I'll pick it back up again. Like he wasn't afraid to die. Jesus was relaxed. Uh, he, He only had three years on earth to do the entire mission that God had given him, which was to tell the world what God was like. Three years. My first three years of ministry were awful. (laughs) I needed way more to try to do what God had called me to do. God had given Jesus three years, and Jesus didn't ask for more time. He didn't beg God for more time. He didn't didn't try to start early. Jesus was relaxed. Uh, Jesus could minister in a town, knowing that not everyone had heard the message, knowing that Not everyone had accepted, knowing that even those that had accepted were not fully discipled yet, and yet he could leave that town and go to another town. Why? Because Jesus was relaxed. Jesus could actually stand calmly when Judas kissed him on the cheek, when he was being questioned by the high priest, when Pontius Pilate was deciding his fate, because Jesus is relaxed. He could actually leave the earth giving the mission to the disciples who just weeks earlier had actually deserted him knowing that they were going to be the ones to carry it out. And Jesus could do that because Jesus is relaxed. This is actually the picture the psalmist gives us of sheep in the shepherd's care. If you have your Bibles, I'd love you to turn with me to Psalm 23. Uh, I would like for us to read the entire psalm before we relax together in verse 2. Psalm 23, verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes, relaxes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. Uh, Did you know that sheep need at least four things before they can lie down? Uh, I didn't know this before. Uh, I'm learning all kinds of things about sheep. It's really quite interesting. Uh, Sheep actually need uh, freedom from fear and from friction, kind of this idea of competition and comparison, before they can lie down. The last two things is that they also need freedom from hunger 
and freedom from thirst. Now, I'd like to tackle the first two, all right, freedom from fear and freedom from friction first, and then I'd like to spend a little bit more time talking about freedom from hunger and freedom from thirst. Now, uh, last week, we actually spent a good bit of time talking about how to be free from fear, that understanding that when we fill ourselves with the fullness of God, understanding the glorious riches in Christ Jesus, remember that passage in Ephesians? That's actually how we lack nothing. We lack nothing because when God is our everything, then we lack nothing. (laughs) When God becomes our everything, when we put our mind on him, that's where we no longer have to find fear because that's when we're in perfect love and perfect love drives out fear. And so what I'd like to do is spend a little bit more time talking about that that second part, the freedom from friction. Uh, Did you know that sheep actually have uh, what's called a budding order? Yes, I, I said that right, a budding order. Uh, it's the same thing that almost every animal group has. Uh, sometimes we will call it a pecking order. That's what chickens have. Uh, wolves have it. Lions have it. Any group of animals that gets together will always kind of know which one is kind of the top dog, right? The alpha, right? And which ones are the ones that are below that. Uh, sheep actually have the same thing. Usually it's a, uh, an alpha female who's kind of like the most cunning, the shrewdest, the most arrogant of the sheep, and the most powerful. And so she asserts her dominance by headbutting, by bumping in, knocking over, pushing others out of her way. And then there's the next most powerful you right on down to the very lowest. And they're constantly asserting and reasserting their dominance. They're bullying those beneath them and being bullied by those above them. And that creates massive friction within the flock. Uh, God even spoke of this in the book of Ezekiel. If you have your Bibles, flip over to Ezekiel. If you were in the Psalms, just go Psalms, Proverbs, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, and then you will run into Ezekiel, Ezekiel chapter 34. God speaks of this starting in verse 15. He says, I myself will tend my sheep and have them lie down, declares the sovereign Lord. Jump down to verse 20. Therefore, this is what the sovereign Lord says to them. See, I myself will judge between the fat sheep and the lean sheep because you shove with flank and shoulder, butting all the weak sheep with your horns until you have driven them away. I will save my flock and they will no longer be plundered. I will judge between one sheep and another. God understood that that sheep do this. God knew that we are like sheep and, and sheep can't lie down when there is that kind of friction within the flock. Uh, This happens all the time. But here's the truth. We don't actually headbutt one another. (laughs) I mean, like, I suppose that happens maybe in, like, WWE or whatever, but that's not something that you normally are going to see. In fact, if you see somebody headbutting another human, like, that's the kind of thing people try to get on video and post on the Internet, and they get all kinds of, because that's just not, we don't headbutt each other, but we absolutely look down on others and strive and compare ourselves and position ourselves to try to get the very best that we can. And I'm, I'm ashamed to admit that I, I do the same thing. Like, like as a pastor, I, I can way too often find myself comparing someone else's ministry and mine. Are, are we growing as fast as they are? 
How, how come they're seeing so many more salvations and baptisms than, 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 than we are? I compare my preaching. Well, am, am I as good of a, a preacher as that person? Well, she's smarter than, than I am. Well, he tells better stories than I do. She's wittier than I am, or he, he's cooler than I am. Like, I find myself with these comparisons. Because my eyes, not on the shepherd, my eyes on other sheep. And even worse, when I start comparing myself favorably, when I'm like, well, I'm, I'm better. I'm more deserving. My theology is truer. My strategy is, is greater, right? Like I, I, I fast more or I pray more or I care more or whatever, right? We like, it's shameful to admit that, that I have these feelings, but I'm not alone. I know that I'm not alone. I mean, I think all of us, wrestle with this stuff. And in fact, uh, Philip Keller, who, who was a shepherd, wrote one of the books that I've been reading for this series. He says, it is here that much jealousy arises. This is where petty peeves grow into horrible hate. It is where ill will and contempt come into being. It is the place where heated rivalry and deep discontent is born. He says, it is here that discontent gradually grows into a covetous way of life where one has to be forever standing up for himself, for his rights, standing up just to get ahead of the crowd. But this, friends, is not the way of Jesus. Right? When we're worried about being pushed or having to push, when we're worried about standing up for ourselves and trying to protect the ground that we think somehow we own or deserve or are entitled to. It's all because our eyes are on other sheep. And we have forgotten the care, concern, the abundant life of the shepherd. Keller actually goes on to say, he says, but one point that always interested me, interested me very much was that whenever I, as their shepherd, came into view and my presence attracted their attention, the sheep quickly forgot their foolish rivalries and stopped their fighting. He says the shepherd's presence made all the difference in the sheep's behavior. He goes on to say, in our human relationships, when we become acutely aware of being in the presence of Christ, our foolish selfish snobbery and rivalry will end. It is the humble heart walking close to Christ that is at rest, that can relax, simply glad to lie down. Listen, he says, after all, it is his estimation of me that is of consequence. Any human measurement at best is bound to be quite unpredictable, unreliable, and far from final. To be close to Jesus, conscious of his abiding presence made real in my mind, my emotions and will by the indwelling gracious spirit is to be set free from fear of my fellow man and whatever he might think of me. Friends, we all fall into this trap, don't we? We all fall into the trap of, of thinking like, uh, is my house big enough? Is my house clean enough? Is my car nice enough? Is my job good enough? Am I cool enough? Am I funny enough? Smart enough? Am I connected enough? Do I know the right people? Am I better than she is? Am I prettier than her? Am I stronger than him? Like we all find ourselves, right? Because when we get our eyes on one another, we fall into the scarcity mentality where we think, well, there's not enough to actually go around, so I got to grab what's mine. 
But when our eyes are on Jesus, we find ourselves with an abundance mentality because he holds the cattle on a thousand hills. This entire place, this entire universe, he created it and he owns it. It's his. Nothing is too great. He's going to do more than we can ask or imagine. Remember that from last week. When our eyes are focused on the shepherd, we recognize that there is no lack. Keller also says, if a sheep, uh, excuse me, uh, sheep need to be free. This is the second set of things. Uh, Sheep need to be free, not just from friction, right? And that changes when we get our eyes on Christ. Sheep also need to be free from hunger and from thirst. Sheep need to be free from hunger and thirst before they can lie down. Uh, Now, David, when he wrote Psalm 23, David was a shepherd. And David was a shepherd in Palestine. Now, around Palestine, it's very dry and arid, okay? Very rocky. It's not like West Michigan where there's, you know, beautiful fields all over the place and and, and grass seems really prevalent. It's not like that. Uh, David uh, understood that. In fact, when David says in Psalm 23, he makes me lie down in green pastures, like David understood that that actually takes massive amounts of work on on the part of the shepherd. Uh, Now, uh, during the springtime, after the spring rains, yeah, there will be grass and it will be fairly green, but uh, that's only a a very small portion of Israel's, especially around Palestine's seasons. They've got uh, summer where things dry up and, and, and get burned up and, and f- the fall and winter time especially. And it's a lot of work to provide green pastures for your sheep. You got to know where to take them. Or you got to tend to those things. And, and David reminds us that God, God is not afraid of hard work. In fact, that's what God loves to do. God loves to provide for, care for. So he's constantly leading his sheep to green pastures where they can lie down. Uh, if a sheep is hungry, It will continue to burn energy looking for something that will satisfy. If a sheep is hungry, it will continue to burn energy looking for something that will satisfy. God knows this. He's a a good shepherd. In fact, uh, look with me in Ezekiel 34. Uh, God speaks about this in that same passage, starting in verse 13. It says, I will bring them out from the nations and gather them from the countries, and I will bring them into their own land. I will pasture them on the mountains of Israel, in the ravines, and in all of the settlements in the land. I will tend them in a good pasture. And the mountain heights of Israel will be their grazing land. There they will lie down in good grazing land. And there they will feed in a rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. Uh, Jesus said something similar in the Gospel of John. Flip over to John chapter 10. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John 10. We actually read these verses starting in verse 9. Jesus said, I am the sheep gate says gate there he's referring to himself as the gate for the sheep he says whoever enters through me will be saved they will come in and go out and find pasture the thief comes only to steal kill and destroy i have come that they may have life and have it to the full i am the good shepherd that's what jesus says now god promises us that he's going to provide us with plenty to eat right These are the images. I'm going to lead them out to find pasture, Jesus says. God says, I'm going to bring them into rich 
pasture. I'm going to tend to them, make sure that they have everything. Uh, what is he talking about, though? Like, we don't need grass to eat. Like, we don't eat grass, right? Is he talking about, like, a, a pasture of sushi? Ooh, I wish. That sounds amazing. <laughs> Jesus actually answers that question, what he's talking about. Flip back just a couple of chapters to John chapter 6. John chapter 6. Jesus has just fed the 5,000. Just some few small loaves and fish, and he's fed 5,000 people with that. And now the people are super excited, like, yo, we want this Jesus dude around us because homeboy can, like, multiply food. Like, that would be great. Look at what Jesus says in verse 32 to people who are talking to him about why he hasn't continued to provide more food like he had the day before. Verse 32, Jesus said to them, very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. In other words, hey, yeah, right on, man. Do what you did yesterday. Hook us up, bro. Like, give us that amazing sourdough that I know all y'all been baking all throughout quarantine. That's what they're saying. Give us some of that. Verse 35, then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. I'll flip down just a little bit further in verse 53. The same passage, the same conversation that Jesus is having with these folks. Jesus said to them, very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up in the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in them, just as the living Father sent me. And I live because of the Father. So the one who feeds on me will live because of me. Do you see that? The one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died, but whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Uh, look, folks started to kind of freak out when Jesus said all this, right? They're like, yo, dude's trying to make us become cannibals. But that's not what Jesus was talking about. Uh, Jesus wasn't saying that they literally should start gnawing on his arm. Jesus was trying to help them understand that he is the feast. It's his life. It's his death and resurrection. It's the things that he commanded us, that he calls to us. Jesus is like, yo, I'm the feast. My word, that's the feast. That's where you're going to find life. That's the place that you're going to actually drink, and it's not going to run dry. He says, I'm the thing that your souls are driven to, just like a sheep won't stop walking around burning energy, looking for something to satisfy. Jesus says, your souls aren't letting you rest, relax, and be satisfied because they're always looking for something to fill them. I'm the only place that that's going to happen, Jesus says. We keep eating things that won't satisfy us. We, we keep drinking from wells that are dirty, that will run dry and, and make us sick. Keller says, to drink in spiritual terminology simply means to take in or to accept or to believe. And friends, when we stop trying to satisfy our own cravings with 
all the things of the world, right? That's, that's when we start to find that Jesus is the only place that we're ever, we will ever find satisfaction. Um, Keller actually shares this story in his book uh, about a shepherd who is leading uh, his flock of sheep down to these crystal clear waters that were coming off of uh, the summer thaw in the mountains. And as he's watching uh, the shepherd lead his sheep down this path, the water for them to drink is not far away at all. It's actually very, very close. But he said that there's a, a couple of stubborn ewes that kept trying to stop and drink from these muddy puddles on the side of the path. And he said these puddles were not only muddy because the sheep had been walking through them and stirring it up, but also flocks previously in the day had walked that same path and walked through it. And there's excrement in the puddles and urine in the puddles. And he said the puddles were, were filled with all kinds of parasites and, and they were undoubtedly going to leave these sheep not only uh, drinking impure, disgusting water, but also causing them to be sick. He said they were so close to something that could actually bring them life if they would only trust and keep their eyes on the shepherd. He says they thought that they knew better. They they didn't think that it was actually worth the effort to keep going with the rest of the sheep. And so they tried to stop and drink from these dirty puddles. And friends, how often do you and I do that? I mean, I, I do it way too often. Way too often. Jeremiah chapter 2 verse 13 says, My people have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns. Broken cisterns that cannot hold water. A cistern was a a big hole in the ground. And it usually was then, um, they would put clay on it so that it could hold water, and then they would divert rainwater to go in there. And and it wasn't like a a spring of living water, right, that was always going to be bubbling up and clear and clean. It was was water, but, but it was stagnant water, and better than no water, but they were digging these cisterns, God says, and, and what he means is they're trying to fill the void in their life. They're trying to get this water for themselves, but they're actually digging cisterns. The water won't even stay in there. It's not even good water, and it's not even staying. It's just running dry, and Jesus says, hey, I'm the place that you're going to find your satisfaction. Our careers, friends, they're not going to satisfy. That amazing vacation is not going to satisfy Our educations, our accomplishments, even our family and our friends will never satisfy the thirst of our soul. You'll never find true relaxation when we're out trying to make all of this happen for ourselves. Um, Did you know that if sheep have lush pasture to eat from, early in the morning when there is heavy dew on the ground, they can actually go weeks, even months, without needing to drink water. Uh, I had no idea that that was a a possibility. Uh, But Keller said uh, sheep can go weeks, even months, if the dew on the grass is plentiful and the sheep are up early in the morning before the dawn uh, feeding. He actually says uh, the gentleness stillness and softness of early morning always found my sheep knee-deep in dew-drenched grass. There they fed heavily 
and contentedly. As the sun rose and its heat burned the dew drops from the leaves, the flock would retire to find shade. There, fully satisfied and happily refreshed, they would lie down to rest and ruminate through the day. Nothing pleased me more. I am confident this is the same reaction in my master's heart and mind when I meet the day in the same way. He loves to see me contented, quiet, at rest, and relaxed. Jesus woke up early all the time to spend time with his father. Uh, David talks about waking up early to spend time with God. Uh, So many men and women, heroes of the faith, throughout history did the same. Waking early to feed on the word of God to drink in the presence of Christ. And it is in that place, friends, where we actually find satisfaction, where we begin to be filled up with God, recognizing his overflowing glorious riches, his undeniable and ever-present care for his sheep. He is a good shepherd who knows how to give his sheep wonderful pasture. He gives us bread that satisfies our souls, water that never runs dry. This, friends, is what God gives us. This is what the psalmist is talking about when he says he makes us lie down in green pastures. He leads us by quiet waters. Relaxed just like Jesus, relaxed. This is what God desires for you and for me. We find it when we look to the shepherd and stop comparing ourselves with everybody else. And when we rise early to feed on God's word, drinking in the presence of Christ, that's when we can lie down and be relaxed. Father God, I will admit, um, I find myself hurried and harried way too often because my eyes aren't on you. And God, I'm not great at getting up early. That is not my jam. I like the night, not the morning, but God, I know every time that I start my day recognizing your presence, when I spend time with you in the word, feeding on who you are, drinking you in, that's when my soul finds satisfaction. God, let us be sheep who trust the shepherd, knowing that you have given us everything we need. You, God, are my shepherd. I lack nothing. Thank you for the relaxation you provide so that I can lie down free of fear. We love you, Jesus. In your beautiful and powerful name we pray. Amen.